Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. The Forgecast today is coming at you thanks to our mate Rob at Weber Abrasives, where you'll find all the best abrasive products and more. Visit abrasives.on.net to get in touch and tell Rob the Forgecast sent you. So... I think everyone wants to hear about what you've been up to this week, Alex. <laughs> they already know. <laughs> they already know. Everyone knows. Uh, it's old news by now by the time this episode goes out. Stale news. But um, <laughs> no, I, I, I finished the blade of the mushroom knife for Niels Vandenberg. Um, and I'm now prepping for the handle. Um, but it was the Kumai knife that I was yes. talking about for weeks. <laughs> Yeah, um, forty-layer twist Damascus on it, um, which was nerve-wracking on its own. But um, it came together pretty damn nice, and I also fil- filmed it all and and everything. And of course, now that like it's done and I've finished the filming and everything, I still see all the faults with it. So there's still quite a bit more hand sanding to go when you're trying to do a mirror finish. That's what's going to happen, I suppose. We are our own worst critics. Absolutely, but this is going to Niels Vandenberg, who is literally the worst critic. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that he has made people cry before, but yeah, but only when they've asked him to. Yeah, that's right. He actually specifically ordered this, so I, I'm I'm pretty sure he won't pull it apart. But <laughs> he'll, he'll try ma- not to. I want to make it as nice as possible. It's it's never going to be perfect. I'm just not at that level. Um, so I'm I'm doing it as good a level as I can get. But I really wanted to share it um, and share the process. So I did the video on the how to of it. Um, and I was actually speaking to Niels today, and he wants to uh, wants me to do a video on the making of the handle for it as well, so that he actually can have a full build. Um, process videoed over two parts so the blade in one and the handle in the other um, yeah cool so he all but demanded it of me today um, well you don't say no to Niels Vandenberg so no not when he's like dude do it <laughs> do it um, I can't do a Niels Vandenberg voice nobody can um, <laughs> not so, even yeah. Niels Vandenberg <laughs> not even Niels uh, but yeah, it's, it came out really good. I'm really happy with it. It's one of those projects that I keep looking at and wondering how I did it. Um, sometimes that happens. Uh, I need to make some more QMI knives to reinforce it, I think. But the, 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 the theory is clearly sound. It worked very well. Um, and it's a cool effect. And now everyone can do it because the video is now public. It was private just to my Patreons for a while now it's public and uh, it's getting really good feedback even my downvote fairies haven't come and, and downvoted it yet so <laughs> well i i still have yet to see it i i'm refusing to see it until i do it myself have you dropped it an upvote though well no because i i haven't even clicked on the video i refuse <laughs> i'll i'll hit the like button when i uh, when i finally go and watch it <laughs> Well, um, another thing I was, I've actually been trying to work out, like when I first was testing the QMI concept that I, I was coming up with, 
um, I made a test piece that ended up working really, really well, and I've decided mm. I want to actually make some jewelry out of that. Um, cool. So yeah, I've, I've started work on that, but I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it hidden until it's done. It's a, a lot of carving work to to make it what I want it to be, and I'm hoping it works out. So I don't want to actually say where it is until unless I screw <laughs> it up, and then yeah, I don't want that to happen. Um, but um out, outside of that i've been working more with my knife making student who i've um referenced before he's actually the one that booked ahead a heap of lessons um he made a um great bit of progress he, he i was miyagiing him for his first few lesson, lessons um but then a lesson before last he made his first ever knife and it was celtic knife uh, and everybody's first Celtic knife is always butt ugly and everything, but it, uh, and it got a warp in it and everything, but it, it hardened up and it was functional and he was proud of it and everything. But he made his first proper knife blank with forged bevels. He did the grinding on it as well, uh, full tang. Um, and it came out pretty damn nice. I'm very proud of him. He, he, he worked very hard. He's fighting against that urge to be a perfectionist and, <laughs> um, you know, you could when you when you start realizing you can shape a blade that way, you start wanting to make it perfect. And the, I, I keep trying to tell him, there's time for that later. Right now, we want to just hone those techniques, get it down, get a knife out. Um, but it's all heat treated now, uh, and looks great. He wants to make a knife each for his daughters, which I think is a nice, nice yeah, gesture. Cool. Um, so now he wants to recreate the exact same knife blank. Um, and just to test that everything's gone in, the, this one he made from a file, the next mm-hmm. one I'm going to get him to make from a piece of coil spring, um, yeah, but, right. but make the same knife. So just to test to make sure that he's got all of that that technique in there. Um, we'll see how he goes. He's probably going to hate, hate me by the end of the day. <laughs> if who he doesn't, doesn't hate you really? already. <laughs> uh, and finally, over the weekend, I made a little small engine workbench for my wife because she's been learning how to repair small engines and um, it, it sucks trying to fix a lawnmower on the grass with parts and tools everywhere getting lost in the dirt. Uh, mm. So um, I made her a nice little workbench, which came out pretty good. I did that on my Twitch stream, and it was yeah, uh, it looked great. I was uh, I actually signed into that Twitch stream. It was pretty good. Yeah, it was. Um, but it's it's quite funny because um, the local community has actually pitched into this by um, donating old broken mowers and line trimmers and things that they've had kicking around sheds and that. And so um i put up some photos of it in the community groups on facebook and um just wanted to thank everybody and showed the the workbench with her working out and everything and um just to show them what their donations have led to and um somebody from the abc actually wants to interview her about doing it um so <laughs> um, she's she's all shy so, about that now <laughs> so 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 first you and now you now your wife yeah that's right <laughs> yeah both being featured on the abc yeah, it's pretty funny that, uh, but it's cool, you know. That it's, it's that sort of supports helping motivate her with it. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm proud awesome. of her. My uh, song of the week is um, actually a really depressing song compared to the week that. I had. No, yay! Um, but it's it's um, by a singer. I have no idea how to pronounce her name. Um, it's Ashy or Ash or something. It's A S H E. Um, Ash, I think, yeah. Yeah, Ash. <laughs> I don't know. Ash. 
Oh, it's a short cottery sea gas. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, but she did a song called Moral of the Story, and it's about a... Um, uh, she the, the singer actually wrote it after she had a divorce, um, and it's about um, always picking the wrong partner uh, over and over and over again and um, wondering whether or not it's her or whether it's them or whatever, all the confusion that comes with that. Um, mm. But it's a really cool tune um, and just really heartfelt and um, sort of this... Uh, defiant oh well attitude um, in the face of, of everything going wrong it's a really, really cool song uh, I highly recommend it uh, cool. how about you how about you Sam oh well um, yeah I'm, I've, I've had a super interesting week there's been lots of you know full-on you know action-packed non-stop fun well there's been non-stop twitch streams yeah <laughs> <clears throat> almost almost uh completely yeah that's uh that's true uh <laughs> i've streamed seven days out of the last 10 i found out just just before the stream <laughs> uh, i didn't realize that i'd been that prolific um but yeah so i've been doing a lot of that and that's mostly been because i've been practicing a lot of my um a lot of my engraving and obviously all of my engraving work is now over on twitch so uh, every time that I've sat down to my engraving bench to do some engraving, I've decided, nah, screw it, I'll put it up on on Twitch. <laughs> uh, so it's been good. Um, been working on a French pattern cross pane that I forged probably six months ago for myself with the express intent of engraving every facet of the, <laughs> of the piece <laughs> purely as kind of a, a test of my abilities. So uh, I actually had some uh, some input from my Twitch followers uh, as to what I should engrave on it. So, so far we've agreed uh, a phrase called, uh, saying La Forge, c'est la vie, which, you know, because it's a French cross it had to be in French, and because I'm studying French, uh, which is The Forge's Life, which, you know, it, of course it is. Um, and we agreed that the fleur-de-lis, which is probably my favorite symbol um, in history, uh, had to be on there somewhere, so that's only going on top of the uh, the peen right now. And then on the other side, there's going to be a small frog, um, <laughs> which I thought was very on the nose. <laughs> um, who knows what else I'm going to engrave on it, because there's still quite a bit of, uh, you know, area, canvas to work with. Uh, and I am going to do an inlay on this, at least one inlay on this hammer. So, But I need to do some practice with inlay before I inlay on that hammer. Um... Other than that, uh, I've just been engraving various random things, uh, little bits of copper. Yeah, little bits of copper and stuff. I made my mother a uh, Christmas present, which is basically just a, a it's a copper medallion. It's not a pendant or anything. It's too heavy for that. But uh, basically, it's got a shallow relief engraved heart with mum in it, and then on the reverse side is mine and my two brothers' names. So. Um, you know, it, it's cool. It's, it's, it's something that you make for someone who has everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, on the knife making front, there has been zero movement on the, uh, on the Damascus Karabit because I am still waiting for my belts, um, from Rob. They should be here tomorrow, uh, because today was a public holiday. So unfortunately post didn't run. Yeah. Rob doesn't mess around with postage. No, he literally posted the same day that but I ordered. Even, even he can't overrule a uh, public holiday. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's like Bjorn from uh, you know Creative Man. Creative they Man. they 
they ship the same day, but unfortunately they, they have no sway over the, uh, over the postal system. So just got to wait for Australia post to pull their thumb out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, I had, uh, a young mate from, uh, in Rockingham, just, just down the road, uh, contact me and ask me for some tips on welding and stuff like that. And I just invited him over and we actually had a day in the forge. Um, I showed him how to weld with an arc welder and then, uh, he brought some 1084 and mild steel to, you know, put together a sandmai packet to weld at home. And that's I figured, a, you know, that's a, that's a ballsy sandmai too. That's, that's a one way yeah. ticket to crack him down the center of the 1084. Yeah. Well, I basically, I just said to him, you know, well, while you're here, why not just weld up a, uh, weld up the billet in my forge with the press? Cause you know, he doesn't have a press. He just, <laughs> he's forging with a with a hand hammer and I was kind of like well oh, I could save you a lot of lot of arm work yeah that's right I make my uh, students do it by hand yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm nicer than you are yeah um but yeah so that, that's pretty much been my week uh, I've got a lot of plans in the works and I've been working around the house getting things sorted but um yeah that's that's pretty much been it I, I have been you know struggling with with my own demons and stuff like that which has not been not made things very easy, but, uh, you know, struggling through. At least you're not lonely. Well, (laughs) that's it. But, um, yeah, anyway, uh, my song of the week, um, I, I pondered this for for long and hard, um, (laughs) (laughs) for the last like 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I've decided that uh, it's a song that uh, brings back so much nostalgia for me. Every time I hear this song, it's raining and I'm in a car, right? Like that every time I hear this song, doesn't matter if I'm, it's in the middle of the summer or you know anywhere I am, doesn't matter where I am, doesn't matter what I'm doing. When this song comes on, I can smell the rain. I can feel the cold glass against my head because that was the first time I heard this song and it was a very emotionally impactful moment for me in my life. Um, and it's a song by Dido, um, uh, <laughs> just to, just to add to the eclecticism of our, of our <laughs> playlist. And it's the song called Thank You, um, which it, it's funny, um, given your song of the week, <laughs> both of them are about relationships that kind of go all over the place. Mm. Um, but hers is more positive, obviously. Um, but yeah, no, Dido was a, was a big part of my growing up. My mum was a massive fan and my dad was a massive fan. So I heard her all the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I can't help but, uh, feel nostalgic every time I hear the, the opening flute, uh, to, to thank you. So right. yeah, there's that. Add so to the list, Jake. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Get on it, Jake. <laughs> Have, haven't heard anything from you. Haven't got your uh, punches yet either. Bloody posts are taking forever. But with uh, yeah. that being said, talking about Jake and, and people who listen to the Forgecast, I believe we have a listener email. Do, and it's from Aiden Clark, who is actually um, AC Bladeworks on Instagram. I don't know if he, I follow him. Um, yeah, right. He says, hello, gentlemen. None of us are getting any younger. I think that's the truth. And hmm. I've personally found that my posture lack of brakes, and particularly my footwear, make a massive impact on how I feel at the end of a big shed session. My hips, feet, neck, and back often suffer, and I get stubborn and cut corners of looking after myself, particularly stretching. 
Other than PPE and general safety, what advice would you give your younger self to help stay healthy and mostly pain-free in the shop? You'll stay classy. Aiden. Yeah, well, um, anti-fatigue mats are something that I would have invested in a long time ago. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I I need to invest in that for my workshop. My problem is that I'd keep tripping uh, over it and I'd keep burning holes in it and stuff. But especially if you're working on a concrete floor, like if you're Mm -hmm. working on dirt floor, it's not not as big a deal. Yeah, I don't get fatigued in my forge, but as soon as I go to my finishing shed where it's a concrete floor, far out. Yeah. I'm thinking that it's going to be something that I need to invest in for both the grinder and for around the anvil. Um, mm-hmm. Problem is, I'd have to cover most of the floor around the anvil, and the <laughs> anvil's movable in my workshop. It's not bolted down. So, well, so are the mats. Yeah, I know, but that just seems like a lot of work. I'm it lazy. Does. It does. And that's the problem, uh, being, <clears throat> being lazy. There's uh, Every problem I've run into, every injury I've caused myself, has been from being lazy. It's, yeah, that's um, it not stretching or uh, pushing myself uh, harder than I should have um, with, um, you know, I felt my hammer hand getting tired and I'm like, oh, I've just finished this project Um, and (laughs) I just keep going. And then all of a sudden, oh, my forearm hurts today when I try and grip things. That's not good. (laughs) Mm. Um, I would have um, done more to like as soon as i started getting into my late 20s and especially when i entered my 30s i would have um, paid more attention to the um how easy it is to get injured compared to my younger days like when i was 18 20 22 i could have done anything fell down a cliff just dusted myself off and walked away now if i sleep badly i'm out for three weeks (laughs) yeah and tear your ACL fucking stepping over a piece of wood in the driveway. Yeah, that's the sort of thing. Like, you can you can get things that help that. And you, you sort of avoid doing it because it makes you feel like an old man. Like, I, I now use a, um, it's a funny name, uh, cervical pillow. It's got nothing to do with cervix. It does is everything to do with your cervical the spine. cervical spine, yeah. Which is what <laughs> connects. Uh, it's sort of like the top third of your spine, to put it in simple terms. It's where your shoulders are and your... Uh, the neck connects to your head and all that sort of thing. It's it's where all of those strains and pulls tend to happen. Um, you can get cervical pillows, which will make you sleep better, which means you're, you'll sort of stretch your spine out and be less prone to injuries in those areas, which are a common area. Cervical spine injuries are common in blacksmithing because we're always using our arms. And we are always very upper body. And no. our, our heads are always bent down. And, yeah, it's mm. lifting heavy stuff, and that's so... Uh, cervical spine care is a big one and both Sam and I have ranted at length on multiple platforms on correct hammer technique um, yeah we when- both we both have videos on our channel of of how to properly use a hammer so yeah and it's it's um, you can tell it we're to- um, not talking out our ass because both the videos pretty much have the same content <laughs> <laughs> pretty much um, it's it's the thing that I, I, when I started blacksmithing, I did not, I didn't realize that hammer technique was super important. When you tell somebody who doesn't usually swing a hammer that there is nuance to swinging a hammer, they think it's a load of tosh. I think, no, I just hold the hammer and swing it. And there's, I think if I was telling my younger self something, it would be to actually take a course or two in blacksmithing to actually pick that up with the right person some people teach you blacksmithing and they won't tell you anything about hammer control 
Oh, other, no, not at all. Uh, other people will continually, like me, and I know Sam does this, <laughs> will keep stopping students. It's like, nope, stop hammering. <laughs> Take your thumb off the back. Yeah. And, and loosen and the early grip. stages the early stages are where you start developing habits and if you start exactly. developing the wrong habit it's really hard to break mm. so you know when when we're when when we're training people one of the things we try and do is establish good habits at the very beginning and a lot of the time like um one thing that i one common complaint that i have from my students is that the proper hammer control is it feels weird Mm. to a lot of people it feels strange because most people are coming at it from the point of view of the only time they swung a hammer in their life is when they were swinging it at a nail Mm -hmm. and that's an entirely different style of swinging to when you're a blacksmith Mm -hmm. so you know it's one of those things where they they'd be comfortable with the the technique of swinging a hammer at a nail using all the wrist and forearm and then when you tell them to use their shoulder they just they can't seem to get it through their head uh, unless they're very aware of their body. Mm. So, you know, it's something that we constantly have to drill into people. And there's some things that you, you you realize only when it's pointed out to you. Like if you, Sam and I both do this quite regularly, as you can probably assume. Um, and so we will naturally do things that we don't necessarily think about. Um, Sam's probably much more conscious of this than I am because, uh, you know, he's more of a theory nerd than I am. Um, but... <laughs> Um, like I, I had it pointed out to me by uh, my mate Adam, who was in the forge, uh, how much foot positioning plays an impact on how it feels to hammer. I'd never really noticed, never really thought about. It. I'd put all of my thought into my upper body, but my background in martial arts had made me stand in essentially like forward stance. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> while I was hammering, and it was just what felt natural to me. But I hadn't made the connection that it was actually making a huge difference to my hammering. And the, and this is it. Like the one of the reasons that the ideal height, quote unquote, <clears throat> for an anvil is uh, standing up straight, back straight, and hanging your knuckles down by your side, and you know where your knuckles rest is normally where the anvil face should be, as a rule of thumb. And that's because when you start standing to forge, your legs should be slightly bent. You know, mm. you should be you know have your feet slightly splayed. I see a lot of people who try and stand like dead upright and try and hammer and it just it looks weird and they don't they have very much control so um yeah it's it's one of those things where you do get into comfortable stances and and actually having a martial arts background is is something that uh is helpful in good hammer control uh you know i have a martial arts background alex has a martial arts background and a lot of the guys that i know that do a lot of blacksmithing have martial arts backgrounds even minor martial arts backgrounds uh, and it, it obviously helps with their body mechanics because th- that's the whole thing behind hammering is that it's a body mechanics, you know, study. Mm. Um, it is literally throwing a punch, but instead of punching something, you're swinging a hammer. The hammer's not doing the work. You're doing the work. The hammer's just an extension of you. Yeah, exactly. The, the hammer becomes a the end of your arm. Mm. So yeah, um, there's a there's a lot that that could be an entire topic, like for for a channel. It actually for, for a show. will be an entire topic. We <laughs> actually have somebody who does physiotherapy coming on as a guest in the near future. That's um, right. Yeah, who's going to be talking? Who's also a blacksmith? Who's going to be talking about um, oh, the the nuances of it? So look forward to that episode. Um, we've put him off too long. <laughs> we need to get him on. We've just had yeah, other people yeah, lined up. Time to bring him along. 
Um, uh, but one one thing that I'd like to throw in before we wrap this up is I have recently um, been convinced to try TENS machines um, where, you know, the little electric pads that give you little shocks. Um, I'd always sort of thought they were a nonsense. I've uh, been using them to treat some muscular pain recently. They're actually, they're not a cure-all, but boy, do they help. They help oh, a yeah. lot. Like a lot, a lot. Yeah, well, it's basically like a mus- massage in a box. Because yeah, you know, it yeah. forces the muscles to move, mm. um, and and that's what muscles do. That's what massages do. They're just moving your muscles for you when your muscles refuse to respond to your brain. Tenderize the meat a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons that tension, like I, being that I have anxiety, I'm very very familiar with neck pain because you know mm-hmm. tension in the shoulders and neck is something that I constantly deal with. Um, and blacksmithing doesn't help. Like, no, it does it, not. Because the more work you put into them, like when you work them, they loosen up, but then at the end of that day, they get even tighter because the muscles tense up in order to protect themselves from damage, um, when they're worn out. And so stuff like the tens machine and stuff like massages and stuff like that makes the muscle work itself out and actually relax, um, which can then help with healing. Uh, and that's why even if you, like if you live in a rural area like Alex does, then uh, tens machine is probably the best option. But the second best, if you've got a massage area, like especially a uh, therapy massage, like mm. remedial therapy, rather than just you know random, just go to someone who rubs on you. Uh, <laughs> you know, no happy endings. You know, it's actually um, <laughs> it's funny. I'm, I'm a certified massage therapist and reflexologist, mm-hmm. um, but it's very hard to do on yourself. Yeah, that's the only problem. My brother great is a, way to get girls when you're younger, though. Let me tell you. Yeah, my my brother is a professional um, uh, remedial massage therapist, and you know he works um, he works full time doing it. Uh, yeah, and that's what his main complaint is that he can never do it himself. <laughs> yeah, and he and and he's found that whenever he gets someone else to do it for him, he can pick out how they're doing it wrong. Yep, that's that. So, <laughs> so it irritates him, so he just doesn't do anything. Like, he's like, ah. <clears throat> but uh, TENS machines are a good way around that. Um, I've yes. been getting great results with mine. Um, and I just got a cheap basic one of eBay, and uh, it's made me want to get a, invest in a decent one now. It's also a fun way to try and make your friends punch themselves. Yes, absolutely. And freak yeah. people out because you'll be sitting there in the chair, like working your forearm and your hands just going, yeah, yeah, like alien <laughs> hands in the room. Yeah. So when we were in high school, a friend of mine brought one to the school and you'd attach the one, one electrode to your bicep, one electrode to your forearm. And it would literally just make your arms snap up into your face. <laughs> and if you weren't careful, you'd literally just you know, smack yourself in the eye. Yeah. Um, we used to try and have challenges where we'd try and drink out of a cup with it with it attached <laughs> and and with someone like sitting on the button and so you half raise it to your face and then suddenly just chuck the whole drink in your face i'm getting uh, getting ideas of how you could sort of automate hammering with one mm. yeah that's, you're right you just have to hook up like <laughs> multiples to yeah, yeah. new forge cast challenge <laughs> arm goes up arm goes down rig arm a tens up, machine to hammer for you jeez anyway technology thank- Thanks, Aiden. Hopefully that has uh, given you some insight. Um, inspirations of the week, Sam. Mm. Who has been yes. inspiring you this week? 
Um, well, actually, it's not even this week. It's literally in the last, uh, like, two hours. <laughs> um, I was just scrolling YouTube, as I am wont to do, and came across a uh, Tanto video that I hadn't seen before. Uh, and, of course, being a knife maker and being a YouTubing knife maker, I had to watch it. Because, you know, I've watched literally every knife forging video on YouTube. And if I haven't, then I need to find those videos and watch them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it from a, a channel called AM Bros Custom. And AM Bros is capital A-M, uh, B-R-O-S, uh, Ambros, basically, one word, custom. And um, at first I kind of thought it was the clickbaity kind of um, random hands channel, the you know, based in India or Pakistan, where they just kind of churn out... Yeah. massive amounts of content, very low quality kind of builds and restorations and stuff. <clears throat> but I watched this build and he literally does it all by hand. Um, you know, he, he does the, he forges in a, in a coal forge. Uh, he uses files. Like he, he has an angle grinder and he uses it to cut the piece, the original piece of material out to make the knife out of. But then he uses files to do the bevels. He hand files in the fuller. Um, wow. You know, like, yeah, uh, he, he uses a jeweler's saw to cut out all the pieces. He makes his own habaki. Uh, he's made his own engraving machine, like, you know, like an, a, an engraving, uh, like an electric pneumatic graver. Um, and, you know, he engraved the tsuba and all this kind of stuff. And it was just, and he made a Mokumegane pin, like Makugi pin. Um, so, you know, like it was one of those things where I, I think... One of the things that really got me was the the fact that I was, it was such a subversion of my expectations because it was framed and it has the background music of all of those clickbait channels. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they've all got that same generic royalty free crappy pop music going over the top of the video. <laughs> but um, I ended up watching a bunch of videos with my wife who's watched too many of these videos with me. She, you know, she would say too much. And she basically, um, she was commenting that, you know, he, he really does go into a lot of detail. And, um, I realized that I had seen his channel about a year ago. He made a kitchen knife out of welding rods, um, out of stainless, stainless what? and high carbon welding rods. Yeah. Using nothing but like he used a welder to weld welding rods together and made an integral chef's knife. And then oh he, ca- and then he case hardened it. Uh, in his forge and he, in a coal forge to, to get a usable knife out of it. And like, I, I'm telling you right now, it's not the best chef's knife in the world, but it's all, it looks wicked. And especially given the tooling that he has, like it, most of it's done by hand. He uses a, a Fordham, um, like rotary tool, um, and lots of little bits, you know, like little carbide bits and stuff like that. Obviously the same cheap Chinese ones that I buy. <laughs> but yeah, no, he he does a lot of stuff by hand and it was it was really inspiring to see that the level of detail that he was willing to go to um on such, you know, intricate builds. Um he didn't really leave it at it'll be good enough. Yeah. You know, he gets a really good hand-sanded finish. He gets a mirror polish on that um on that integral chef's knife. Which is made out of rods. which is made out of welding rods. Yeah, I mean, like it, it still blows my mind. But um, yeah, it, it was one of those weird things where I was just kind of like, 
here's this guy who's making, you know, one or two videos a month and he's really putting the effort in. He's really putting the hours in to make something that he would be like, he would be proud of. And I really like that because there's so many people out there at the moment who get into this craft and, and there's a lot of people out there who are trying to monetize this kind of stuff on YouTube who literally just smash out as many pieces as they can, you know, and they're normally whipped together as fast as they can with very little detail, you know, using an angle grinder and, you know, just, just you know, get, get the job done. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. No, I mean, you know, the, there are a couple of channels and, and I enjoy watching them, but at the same time, I look at them and I kind of go, okay, here's this person who's trying to make as much of the stuff as he can. And he's not really interested in the, in the finer details of what he makes. You know, the fit and finish don't matter. The, you know, <laughs> um, the, the materials don't really matter. The, you know, everything doesn't matter except the fact that it cuts stuff and it's hard, you know, and that's fine, but it gets boring after a while. And this guy's obviously putting a lot of effort in. And I, uh, if you look at his channel, he actually doesn't just do knives. He does jewelry out of weld. Like he made a, a bangle out of, <laughs> out of nothing but 308 stainless rods. And he only uses an arc welder. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he also does a lot of like how to weld videos, uh, specifically around stainless, which I find really interesting. Yeah. Um, cause he specializes in arc welding. He does a lot of stuff around how to arc weld stainless effectively. And it's very obvious that he knows what he's doing. Um, because his stuff is, comes out really clean and there is no porosity or anything like that. So he's obviously had a lot of practice. But yeah, I, I, I've, I just thought it was an interesting thing that, um, I w you can find inspiration in, in the, the strangest ways. And this was just one of those things that I happened to stumble upon. Um, and I, I'm not entirely sure whether it was the, the quality of the build or just the fact that my expectations were so thoroughly subverted <laughs> that got me. But, uh, yeah, no, I really like his channel. I've subscribed and, uh, you know, I left a few comments for him because, uh, yeah, it's definitely well worth checking out. He's he got about 36,000 subscribers, I think. Well, he's, he's been also around. on Instagram. Um, oh, he is. And he only has 126 followers. So Ooh, definitely wow. okay. jump on that. Go go check him out because, honestly, it like, I know all of, all of us listening have probably checked out those clickbait YouTube videos made by, you know, guys in Middle Eastern countries with very little tooling and stuff like that. And some of them are enjoyable. This one is, you know, one that takes it to the next level. And it's really, honestly, refreshing. Yeah. Well, I'm sold. I'm yeah. Well, on that yes. note, what have you been up to? What's your uh, What's your inspiration? Mine has been someone I've been following for a very long time. Um, and just sort of watching with curiosity. He's, his name is Jay Brown. Um, and he goes by First Degree Forge on Instagram. Um, and, uh, he just makes the most wild <laughs> range of knife varieties and experimentation of knife types and material he, types. And he certainly doesn't seem to have a preference. <laughs> yeah. It's like the most, it's like going to Baskin and Robbins and everyone else is like, you know, I'll have this flavor or maybe I'll have these two flavors. He's just like sticks his face in the tray and drags it sideways. Like he tries <laughs> everything, absolutely everything. And it's so cool to watch. It's oh, yeah. so like every new post that he puts up, sometimes multiple in a day. It's like 
a buoy, a skinner, and a, you know, oyster shucking knife. <laughs> you know, it could, could yeah. be anything. And the thing is, you can tell he's just having so much fun with trying all of these new things, like yeah. new Damascus patterns, new handle materials, new guard styles, new knife designs. Like, everything is new. Every time it's totally new. Yeah, and, and I, I have to say that I've been following him for a long time, and yeah, I, I get that same kind of vibe. Yeah, it's great. And, and it's awesome to see, because it's like... you. Like I'm, I'm, I've talked on here before about wanting to find my style so that people see a knife of mine and go, "That's a Valhalla Ironworks knife" and all that sort of thing. And I, I mm. that's that's the journey I want to take. But you, you can only, and as I've said this before, you can only find out what you sound like by sounding like a lot of other people first. Um, or in yeah. this, in Jay Brown's case, just trying everything. Honestly, I I have a sense of his kind of style is the the eclecticism. Yeah, like yeah. to be to to be perfectly honest, I think if he just started sticking with a single thing, it would lose its color really fast. Yeah, and the thing is, like sometimes he'll do a post, and and, and I, I I mean no offense if he listens to this. Um, sometimes I'll see a knife of his, and I'll be like, ugh. <laughs> but then like what later was that, he thinking but then later that same day he'll upload another knife that he's been working on and it's amazing like it's top notch like really cool yeah. like some of the profiles he comes up with for knives just look like mean and, and cool and then he'll like hey i'm just gonna try with this damascus so that he's he's trying to get this cool pattern out of it and he he nails it like every time he gets it i don't know whether or not he's just not showing his failures but he posts so frequently that i have to believe that he's just that good mm. <laughs> and he he just he always has the coolest handle materials to try like all these uh, dyed burls and things like that that you know sometimes yeah. the handles will be bright blue and it's just that sort of eclectic nature it just constantly keeps his work interesting and fun to watch and i have i have to say i do hate how prolific he is you know like he he makes six knives for every one that i make and it I really know. annoys me i know it's like because i'm i'm sitting here going oh man i need to speed up my game because this guy's ripping me apart it's like where, where does he get the energy but i applaud it frankly he does such a good job to keep up that sort of pace um and churn yeah, it, like- especially trying new things like that you know it's 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 one thing to make you know, seven knives a week, you know, one a, one a day when you're yeah. making one type of knife and you have everything down pat. When it's literally an entirely different process for every knife because every knife is entirely different shaped, mm. you, you just, your mind boggles at the learning curve that you'd have to go through. It's like there's <laughs> just... not enough cocaine in the world. <laughs> <laughs> But like I, cocaine, I say, amphetamines, everything. <laughs> I say that sometimes I don't like what he does. It's not often, to be honest. Most of what yeah. he puts out, I like the look of. It's cool. It's, it's like he put every so often he'll put up one that's like, oh man, I want that knife. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's I just, mean, he, I think I think the thing that gets it is the, is the energy. You know, like just just that. You know, here's this cool thing I made kind of energy, and I yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's like the kind of guy you just want to have as a mate down the road. 
because yeah, every time you go, <laughs> every time you go to his place to just to chill out, he's like showing you this t- pile of twenty-five new knives that he's made. <laughs> Yesterday, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just it's so cool and uplifting. Like it's always positive. It's always exciting. It's always trying new things, and it's just uh, it makes me want to try and keep up, even though I know I po- could not possibly. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the early days of my knife making career when I was trying out new things and, you know, <laughs> the excitement of exploration. And now I'm just this, you know, freaking bitter old man now. Dried in the mud. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> uh, back in my day. <laughs> you know, honestly, some days I, I feel like disenfranchised with knife making because, you know, I feel like I've hit a rut. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at guys like, um, like Jay and stuff like that and it's like, Oh, wait. No, there's way more out there that I haven't tried yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's um, not just been my inspiration of the week, but because I've been trying some new things, uh, but inspiration quite regularly. I love I love looking out for his posts. So, um, yeah. Very cool. Definitely check him out. He's uh, First Degree Forge on Instagram, all one word. Uh, he's also on YouTube. Yes, he's... Is he Rockin' Blue Monkey? First degree forge, I, I, first degree I forge so. and rock and blue monkey. I think. I think that's. I think that's right. Yeah, I think he participated I'm, in the Mank Tank challenge. He did. Uh, I know he did, but I'm just gonna check. <laughs> I now have a computer that I can check things on. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, he's just under first degree forge now. I'm not Is sure he? if he had rocking billy monkey there any uh, before, but. Yeah, Mank Tank Challenge was, feels like forever ago. It's like two years ago now. Oh, he is a rockin' blue monkey. It's just in his about now, no longer in his channel name. Yeah, all right, cool. He's got 1.29k subscribers. Oh, good on him. He's almost yeah. he's almost at my level. <laughs> those rookie numbers. Rookie <laughs> Pop numbers. those numbers up. Sam's at like 4,000, 5,000 now. What are you at? I'm 50 subscribers off 5,000. Well, get on it, listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're listening to this channel, let's be realistic. You're probably already subscribed Yeah, but they've all got friends and mums. And- <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, tell your mum about my forging channel. I'm that's sure right. she'd be really interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, share it with your friends. That being said, that brings us in to tool time. Tool Time Tool Time is brought to you today As always by the legends at Creative Man Whether you're just getting into knife making Or you're experienced and in need of all the best goodies Give them a visit at creativeman.com.au Today and this week As per listener request We're talking about steels again And we're talking about D2 steel What's this? We listen to, to listeners? Once, every time the planets align. Yeah. <laughs> Once on a blue moon. Um, we, we we are talking about D2 steel. Very popular steel in the knife making community. Very um, popular. And uh, Sam was generous enough to actually send me some. Uh, and I got very excited because I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard a lot about this steel. And then he told me what the heat treatment requirements are for <laughs> it. And I got really demoralized about having to actually try and make something out of this. So I, w- I was very generous to send him some of the D2 that Jared Russell sent me. So. <laughs> <laughs> so and I believe they're planar the- blades, aren't they? 
Uh, yeah, they're, no, they're um, they're wood chipper blades, like they're gow- like mulcher blades, right? Like super, super chunky mulcher blades. I thought uh, mulcher blades were usually L six. I have no idea, but apparently he had them metallurgically tested before he sent them over to us, so that he knows that they're D two. Right. Well, uh, Sam Sam knows a lot more about D2 than I am. Tell them about the ridiculous freaking heat treatment requirements <laughs> that D2 has. Well, okay, let's start out by defining D2. Um, <laughs> now, you guys have seen what my workshop looks like, and you'll understand why I am so frustrated by this. Yeah, so D2 is an incredibly high carbon, incredibly high chromium coalwork steel. Much like 52100, it does have a lot of carbide segregation, which is one of the reasons why... It is a massive pain in the butt to forge. Um, it is fairly red hard, so it's relatively hard to move uh, under the hammer, as Alex will find out when he goes to forge that stuff out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it has various different specifications to vary depending on where you are. Um, you can always look up uh, D2 equivalent uh, on Google for your country, and you should be able to find your equivalent rating for D2 uh, or your equivalent name. Um, and it's got about 1.5% carbon, which is stupidly high. And that's you know, really like, high. It's like cast um, iron. <laughs> <laughs> well, cast iron's normally uh, 2.2% uh, uh, above, I believe. I, I know. I was making a funny yeah. Sam. And, uh, um, it's also 12% chromium. Like, it's, it is it is a stupid amount of chromium in mm. there. So um, it's not going to rust on you easily. No, and it, and that's one of the reasons why D2 is so popular. Is not only is it incredibly high carbide, so it's very wear-resistant, it's also close to being a stainless steel. Unfortunately, as we all know, getting close to stainless steel means that heat treatment becomes a massive pain in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> this is why you should all just stick with 52100 if you want close to stainless, but not difficult to heat treat. Yeah, so um, basically... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's not too difficult. Um, if you want to harden D2, uh, then you need to preheat at 850 degrees Celsius, um, very slowly. You need to ramp it up very slowly to let those carbides kind of shrink. Uh, and then you austenitize at between 980 and 1025 degrees Celsius. Uh, which is about 17,795 uh, uh, or 1875 Fahrenheit. So quite hot uh, <laughs> comparative to a lot of other steels. You need to hold at temperature for a minimum of 15 minutes uh, for small tools and 45 minutes for large tools. So if you're doing uh, you know, drifts and stuff out of D2, which I wouldn't recommend, but if you are, you need to hold at a temperature for a long time. And it's an air-quenching steel. So... Um, if you're uh, aware of air quenching, you'll know that uh, you can plate quench air quenching steel. So if you can use uh, one inch thick aluminium plates uh, to draw the heat a lot faster, otherwise you're just cooling in still air or blowing air if you've got it. Um, but if you're if you're using pressurized air from a air compressor, you don't want to put it on one side of the blade because that will warp the blade much like cooling like putting a blade in sideways in a quench tank will warp it that way or pulling Um, it out of the quench and resting it on your anvil face yeah that'll do it too so yeah anything that sucks the heat out of one side will cause it to warp so you've got to make sure that you're even in your approach um and then for tempering you can uh temper anywhere up to uh 
300 degrees Celsius, and you will still get a relative hardness of about uh, 54 Rockwell. So crank the uh, oven it, to max. <laughs> yeah, so it normally uh, it comes out at about 64 Rockwell from the hardening. Um, you, In order to get the best results out of D2, uh, cryo quench is actually suggested. So after your first quench, you would temper and then put it into liquid nitrogen for uh, up to 12 hours and then let it cool down to room temperature and then temper it again. <laughs> and that would cause all of the uh, retained austenite in the steel to transfer into martensite and create the ultimate hardness in the steel that you could get. Uh, it also helps retain those carbides so you don't get a lot of chipping in the edge. Lucky I keep uh, it's that very good for a toothy edge. It's not very good for a very fine edge. Like, you wouldn't want to make D2 straight razors because the carbides would just segregate at the edge and you'd end up with a sawtooth kind of a pe- effect. Um, Son of it- Kung Fu Fury. <laughs> oh, treachery. It is Kung Fu treachery. treachery. Yeah. Um, no, so, but it makes amazing hunting knives. I know, for instance, that Robert Herbert at uh, RNN Blades, he makes a lot of knives out of D2. Uh, and they get rave reviews. Um, so, you know, it's definitely something to look at. Um, most of the best D2 knives are left at around 60 Rockwell, uh, for their ultimate toughness and abrasion resistance. But unfortunately it's one of those things where machining the stuff is a massive bastard. Heat treating it's a massive bastard. So unless you're really dead set on getting together a, a, paragon heat treating kiln or some form of uh temperature controlled kiln uh and the quenching plates and all that kind of stuff you you probably want to steer clear <laughs> which is why sam sent me some so he can yeah exactly while i fumble around with it now that being said um that is going completely according to the manufacturer's spec- uh, manufacturer's specifications and all heat treating advisory that being said i have seen and heard of blades being oil quenched out of D2 and tempered as normal and being perfectly functional tools. Uh, I I personally plan on trying that out myself. I haven't done it myself. I have seen it done by other people. So, um... You You couldn't air quench and then temper as normal? Uh, you could, um, if you've got, if you've got the, um, you know, pressurized air and stuff like that. I mean, it, it will probably harden to a, an appreciable degree in still air, you know, like if you just let it hang in, but, uh, you know, I don't think that a slow quench or a medium quench would be too aggressive on it to hurt it. Maybe a, um, yeah room temperature uh medium quench rather than yeah. a warm warm one yeah yeah so um yeah one of those it's one of those things it does bear a little bit of trial and error um the manufacturer specifications are always going to give you the best results because they're going to have repeatable results but a lot of us working at home are not going to have the ability to work like that we're not going to be able to just you know <laughs> get our kiln we, out wheel out the paragon heat treatment yeah, kiln and the quench and plates and the dry you don't ice. even hear the process of how to anneal it um <laughs> <laughs> so you know it, it's it's one of those things where you have to make allowances for your own shop's abilities 
And while the manufacturer's specifications will give you repeatable results, they're not the only way to achieve results. It's like 4140. If you look up 4140 anywhere, it will tell you it's an oil hardening steel. And yet every 4140, every 4140 hammer I make, uh, Brent Bailey, he makes a lot of 4140 hammers. We all water quench them (laughs) and we get very good results every time. Mm -hmm. So while it may be, you know, the industry standard to use a certain technique or a certain, you know, medium for quenching and stuff like that, that is not necessarily going to always be, uh, the only way to get results. It is a way to get results. <laughs> and if you don't use the manufacturer's specifications, you won't be able to reliably repeat that result unless you completely remove all other variables. Mm. Um, but yeah, and that's where home testing comes in. But there, then again, it just means that you just don't buy D2. Yeah. Uh, but if you happen to come across it, now you know that you can, you can use it. Yeah, and have a sore shoulder and... That yeah, goes back to get, it. get a TENS machine, stretch. <laughs> I have heard of people using it for uh, hot work tools um, because it is high carbide and because it is um, relatively red hard. Um, I have heard of people using it for drifts and stuff like that. My issue with that is because it's air cool, air hardening, uh, there is a chance that you may get air embrittlement or hardening embrittlement. Um, and it's very hard to soften it. Um, so basically, if you were to forge a drift out of it, then the act of forging, heating it up and letting it cool multiple times would harden it. And that means that every time you struck that, you were striking hardened steel and there's a good chance you're going to get it to explode on you and hurt you. Mm. So um, while D2 is very heat resistant, it's not a good idea to use it for struck tools because it can potentially explode on you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Oh, I was just thinking. I was thinking about how um, uh, Alex Steele recently made the um, H13 tools uh, and then welded on mild steel ends. But then we're talking yeah. about the other end exploding as well. Yeah. D2. Yeah. So that that is irrelevant. So that's why I was yeah. doing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying yeah. to think of that. So yeah, there you H- go. H- yeah. H13 is one of those things. D2 steel. Um, yeah. Get some. Use some, play with it. Yeah, play with it. Have fun. Which brings us on to our topic of the week, which is photography, funnily enough. Mm. Although specifically photographing your work. Yeah, no, if we're talking about photography in general, I'm going to (laughs) leave. Yeah, that's right. As we all all heard last week, I I have very low opinions of photographers right now. (laughs) Sam is now currently working to up his photography game so that he never has to deal with a professional photographer ever again. (laughs) Oh, man. No, from now on, I'll only be dealing with with professionals. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, photography is one of those important things because... Yes, you are going to want to get professional photos of some of your work eventually if you are interested in becoming a full-time bladesmith or a full-time blacksmith and making artistic works. Professional, but you're never going to reach the level of a professional photographer unless you input thousands of dollars into equipment. Um, you know, like the, the quality that a professional photographer can get out of a photo is far beyond what pretty much anyone even a you know a relatively well-equipped hobbyist can get that being said when it comes down to it um, you can always Im- try and improve your game with what you are working with uh, and you should even if it's just using your phone 
Yeah, and and that's it. Like the 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 important thing is, yes, you're going to want to get those photos, but they're very expensive, and you're only going to want to get those of your really good projects. But you are going to want to photograph literally everything you make. If you are online these days and you're a maker and you want to sell things, the only way to get engagement is to be active. And the only way to be active is to showcase your work. Uh, Most of us use Instagram. Some of us use Facebook. Some of us use Twitter. Some of us use YouTube. But photography and videography becomes a massive internal part of your business. And if you're not trying to improve your game in photography as much as you're trying to improve your game in your making, then you're doing your craft a disservice. And it's really, there's not much of an excuse to be able to be as bad as some people that we see uh, with their work, because you can go on YouTube and spend a couple of hours browsing around there and learn some pro tips for angles and lighting and and such to to make your work more appealing um and anybody can do that it's free it's available it's it's there there's nobody stopping you from doing it but (laughs) i mean walt sorrels literally has a 20 minute video on how to photograph knives specifically yeah i mean (laughs) if if your photos are blurry out of focus dark and out of center not even framed right so you can't see the entirety of the the project then you need to maybe stop and if you're trying to promote your stuff for sale, if not, if you're just showing off what you do and having fun with it, who cares? But if you're trying to actually market yourself, get your stuff out there and make your stuff look impressive, you really need to take the time to learn some of the basics at the very least. Absolutely. And yeah, this isn't something you have to spend days studying, you know, if you don't want to. But there are some very basic things that you need to get a hold of before you can really start showcasing your work. And I think the two biggest mistakes that I see people making in when they take photos is light and, and focus. Mm, I also like, I I would add a third one to that. And it's a, it's a bit like the rule of shooting. Um, look at what's behind your target. Yeah. Yeah. Always, always check your backdrop. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the thing. And so, you know, but see light, light backdrop and focus are three of the main things that I see a lot of people failing at. And a lot of the time, the first two kind of correlate because the darker your backdrop, the darker your, you know, the, the shooting environment that you're in the less chance that the automated lens on your phone or the automated lens on your camera, if you're using an automated lens has to actually find the image you're trying like find the object you're trying to photograph and thus focus on it. Yeah. And so therefore your video, your photo is going to be grainy. It's going to be out of focus. You're going to get the barest amount of detail. You're not going to see anything because it's just going to be this dull poo stained blur (laughs) on the camera and unfortunately it's so common (laughs) in the maker's sphere especially in new makers and stuff like that that you just can't see what they've made you know they'll they'll post a photo saying hey guys look at what i just made and it will literally be a photo of a blurry knife-shaped object Mm. and i will say cool (laughs) but i can't see anything and even um, if, if you're trying to sell something and you're trying to make it look appealing, it can't be a straight down shot onto your kitchen table of the thing just lying horizontally across the frame. 
Yeah, and and in like the the really bad um, like yellow fluorescent light mm. um, with reflections light. all obscuring what the, the you know <laughs> shadows like and, and yeah, you know, and the, it was taken. The, it was obviously taken in the middle of the night. <laughs> You know, we're not saying you need to go out and be a professional grade photographer. We're saying that with a smartphone and an hour of YouTube research, you can actually turn your game around. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go on mine or Alex's Instagram, all of our Instagram photos are uploaded from our phone. Mm-hmm. You know, neither Alex nor I are professional Instagrammers that, you know, spend hundreds of dollars on professional photography equipment to then upload to our computers to then upload to the to Instagram. That being said, a lot of my photos are done with a DSLR. <laughs> but, you know, like it's, all of it's my... It's a 15-year-old DSLR. Yeah, yeah. All, <laughs> all of my photos are uploaded from my phone. They're all just taken from my phone. And a lot of it just comes down to lighting, angle, and focus. And backdrop, of course. And um, the One lighting, thing- I think... The lighting, for, to, for me, is one of the most important things because... Uh, for some reason, people don't seem to understand how important lighting is in photography. Mm. Um, you can't just have a small amount of light on the object because the orifice in the camera that's picking up light is smaller than the orifice in your eye often, right? So therefore, it's not picking up as much light unless it's, you know, a really bad camera <laughs> or it's um, or it's a really good camera. But both of them have the same thing, but the good camera can moderate it. Bad cameras will pick up way too much light and they'll just wash everything out. <laughs> It'll be this big white blur. You want good contrast in your piece and you want a nice amount of saturation in the piece. And that means that you want to find good lighting. And one of the best lightings you can get for knife photography is cloudy days. All right, like a cloudy day is perfect for knife photography if you want to do it outdoors. Um... If you want to do it indoors, then uh, having a light setup is really good. Uh, having a, a light shooting bench where you've got uh, reflectors, and you can build one of those in no time out of nothing but friggin' printing paper and scotch tape. <laughs> you know, you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on on a professional um, photography setup. You just need a little bit of time and some know-how. Mm. And I mean, and there are how-to's on. For, on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, if you want to do this regularly, you can actually set up a, like a corner of a table somewhere in your house to be uh, always perfect. Basically, you turn it on and off. Yeah, um, I mean, buy- I've I've I literally bought a thirty dollar um, photo tent from eBay, hmm. and it folds up into a little Ziploc bag or like a zipper bag, and you just pop it out, and it, it's like a pop up tent. Mm-hmm. You just open it up, and it just goes pop. And there you go. You got a you know a photo- photography tent that's all white walled diffuses the light for you naturally uh and then you just lay your backdrop in the bottom of the of the tent and off you go start shooting and another um feather in your cap which um it can easily be misused but um if used right is quite effective is um especially since with social media we're doing it all on our phones anyway there are some great apps out there that allow you to tweak and edit photos to bring that little bit of sharpness, tweak that color just a little bit. Obviously, when people first get these, they tend to go a little bit nutty with them and um, <laughs> uh, put on every filter they can find and, oh, yeah. and so on and so forth. But you learn to use these things like Snapseed, for example. It's a free uh, app that's out there, but there's a million more. Um, you find one that you're comfortable with and learn to find 
um, learn the ways in which you can tweak your photos that may not be optimal settings at the time, like the weather wasn't great or the lighting wasn't perfect, uh, and be able to make it look a little bit closer. Uh, a really good, um, if you want to see a good example of how that works, I've, I've got a shout-out out again, um, Carolyn at um, Evergreen Forge Works. She um, took what I said to heart in my recent rant video on YouTube um, about <laughs> how to, you know, turn your hobby into a business. I actually talk about photography in there. Um, and she's been following the steps and she's actually been using Snapseed. So you can actually see a transition in her photos on her Instagram where she went from not using any uh, filtering applications to overusing them a little bit. And then she's slowly found her style and now her photos are looking great. Yeah, no, they're really coming out. I really, I really like her work up. right now. Yeah, it's it's um, you've got to find and your style with that sort of thing. And actually, I find it, it's very interesting to see the same items basically mm. photographed in her old style, mm-hmm. and then photographed in a new style, and how much more appealing uh, they look. Appealing, yeah, appealing they are. It's it's so much more appealing when it's well shot. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like the difference between looking at uh, a Kyle Royer knife that's been shot on, a, on an iPhone and then you look at one that's been done by his brother, Caleb, mm-hmm. and you just you just go, oh, my God, I want that. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, when it's, it's a strange phenomenon, but when we as the maker look at an item that we've made that we're proud of, we see it through these sort of rose-tinted glasses that um, when we take a photo of it and then show it to somebody else, it never quite looks the way we see it. Uh, it's well, a, no, because we've spent all that time looking at it. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it's, it's almost like when you see, you know, you go outside at night and the moon looks huge. And it's mm. like, um, you know, atmospheric lensing is causing it to look massive in the sky. And you're like, wow, I want to actually show somebody this. And you pull out your phone and take a photo. It looks tiny. It's like one pixel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's that, that sort of effect happens. But being able to do those tweaks with like depth of field tweaks or tilt shift photography or changing the contrast and the color and things is able to if done right and once again i have to stress it can be overdone less is more with this sort of thing Mm. um but it can those little tweaks can make it look make the photo look the way you see it and even if like at the very beginning um i don't use any apps like outside of instagram for my photos but what I do do is instead of using the presets, uh, the preset filters on Instagram, down the bottom right-hand corner, there's a little button that says edit. Mm. If you hit edit, you can individually go through and check your color, check your brightness, check your contrast, check your saturation, your structure, everything is all there for you to control and you can set it to whatever you want. Even just playing with those settings, you can get a good photo out of a mediocre one. Mm. I mean, that's, uh, lo- that, 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 those settings are essentially doing what apps like Snap, Snapseed does. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's the, the same, same sort of effects. Yeah, just without having to download a, a second app. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the, and this is the thing. If you're only uploading to Instagram and Facebook, then you can link your two accounts and then just upload to Instagram, use the filters that they've got, and you're done. If you want to use those photos elsewhere and you want to use them in their full capacity and still have the edit then having something like snapseed is very helpful yeah absolutely no and I obviously mean, that's not the only app you can get so. no obviously not um 
as somebody who has done professional photography in my day and is trained as a photographer, um, I, I, I can tell you that you won't find a better app than Snapseed for it um, in just the range of tweaks that you have access to. But I have to say it again, that can be a downside. <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored by Snapseed. <laughs> yeah, the free app. <laughs> that has yes, no ads in it or anything like that. It's great. It's just a Excellent. known... It's actually made by Google. Oh, cool. Yeah, but it, it is out on Android and iOS, um, and it's free, and it takes up very little space, and it is very powerful. I, I it is, If you're trying to have a social media presence um, and you're, you're, you're trying to get some consistency in your photography, there's no reason it shouldn't be on your phone, if you ask me. Um, what yeah, what so what I do is I, I link I have a, D, a DSLR camera and a uh, SD card reader that plugs into my phone, so I can mm. actually take the photos directly off that, put it onto my phone, run it through Snapseed, and then that goes onto my social media. Yeah, and I will say uh, when it comes to editing photos, it's much easier to darken a photo and make it look good than it is to brighten one, mm-hmm. because the darker something is, uh, normally the lower the resolution a digital camera has to go in order to get a decent photo, right? It has to physically alter the resolution in order to maintain a focus. That's why, uh, digital photos that are taken in the dark tend to be very grainy is because they're actually a lower resolution than, uh, you would get out of a a bright photo. So as long as there's not lens flare, like you're not getting blinded by, by, you know, reflections off the piece or anything like that, then it's much easier to then go in and edit the brightness down, up the contrast, that kind of thing to bring out a lot of the detail. Um, it more is better in a lot of the time with light. Mm. Um, just don't try not to, uh, over, overshoot your, your brightness. If you are using a DSLR, uh, or even certain, um, photography apps like open camera app and things like that. you can adjust the iso of the um the cmos lens in the camera um mm. that will that will um a cmos sensor i should say in the, in the camera to actually change how much light is allowed in um and that can really help in low light and high light environments yeah so, yeah change yeah no, and a lot of the a lot of the modern phones will have uh, automatic balancing for that kind of stuff but you know sometimes being able to have control of it is a lot better yeah, that's right. Machines can't outthink humans yet. No, yet. That's it. give it time. And if you're taking photos of a knife with a DSLR, you should be using it in manual. Don't use it in automatic. <laughs> Michael, Michael Massion would would be smiling right now if he was listening to the show because if you're taking he, any he, photo uh, with a DSLR, you shouldn't be using automatic. Focus. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who uses a DSLR with an automatic lens this is just not taking photos with a DSLR. <laughs> So hopefully that um, this uh, us both ranting at you for the last fifteen minutes has, has helped yeah. you uh, inspire you to maybe sit down at, at your desk and watch some YouTube videos for a little while. See, my my main interest in having this little conversation, this little rant here, is because I want to see better photos of people's work. I like seeing good photos of good work. Mm. And what I can't stand is when there's someone who's obviously making good stuff and I can't see it. Mm. It annoys the crap out of me. <laughs> so I, w- I want to see your work. So if you, know. if you are going to be sitting at your desk watching YouTube videos on and tutorials and things, a tip that I got taught by the person who taught me photography was to find 
an uninteresting object and try and make it look interesting with a photo. Mm. Cha- change your your distance from it, change your angles, change your lighting, change positioning, um, and, and try and make that thing like it might be a candy wrapper or it might be a box of playing cards or whatever. Um, try and make it look interesting. And if you take a photo and it's not interesting, keep trying. It's possible to make everything look interesting with the right photo. Um, yep. it's, a, it's a really good way to practice. Uh, and, and put into practice with the things that you learn because it's an endless rabbit hole photography that you could keep learning for a long time. So. Absolutely. So, so, guys, the Forgecast challenge is over uh, for the, the last month. We will be having a look through and talk about it on the next episode, um, the results of the Railroad Spike Challenge, but we have a new one for you this month, and it's mm-hmm. a little, little bit trickier. Just a little Just bit a trickier. Just a touch. We want you to make a billet of Mokumagane in whatever pattern you choose. It doesn't matter. So, we have no restrictions on layer count or anything. For those who are unfamiliar with Mokumagane, can you explain that, Alex? This is a man who just was telling people about um, having to austenize their steel and <laughs> carbide <laughs> formations shut, shut and all up. that, as if it was just total common knowledge that everybody knows about. You know, but uh, no, well, better explain Mokumagane to knife well, makers. Okay, so there are different forms of Mokumagane, and if you look up it online, a lot of the times Mokumagane will refer to only copper and nickel. Mm-hmm. But copper and nickel are not the only materials you can have in mokumegane mokumegane is literally just non-ferrous metals non-ferrous metal layered yeah layered non-ferrous metals that is basically all it is it's damascus with no steel (laughs) exactly right (laughs) it is it is as nickel as um as alex Steele made a video about it it's in copper and nickel damascus (laughs) yeah um but yeah so uh you don't necessarily need to use nickel uh unless you want silver lines in it i understand that nickel is really hard to get a hold of these days it's expensive as hell but copper and brass make some pretty cool mokume. Um, you can also use stuff like uh, Nordic gold. Um, <laughs> I know someone who has some of that recently. Mm. Uh, you can use bronze. You can use uh, any kind of non-ferrous metal as long as it's got a similar melting point. Like you can't use lead and copper. No. <laughs> because the lead will just disappear. And also lead's bad for you, so don't do that. Yeah. But the same with like zinc and tin and all that kind of stuff. You can't use those. It needs to be something with a relatively similar melting point, which is why it's normally um, copper and copper alloys. Yeah. Although you can make mokume with uh, like silver and gold. But, you know. I've seen silver worked in. It's quite nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Actually, Jim Kelso, who was my inspiration of the week a couple weeks back, made a moth, uh, made an inlaid moth out of Mokume, which was Sharkado, which is gold copper alloy, pure fine silver, and um, Shibuichi, which is uh, silver copper alloy. Mm. Uh, so very expensive. I reckon. Mokume. You, you, you want to get that <laughs> moth just right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, you can play with all different kinds of things. I'm going to be making, I haven't made Mokume yet. So I'm going to be using this challenge as an opportunity to make some Mokume, and I'm going to be using copper and brass. So. Uh, you know, that's a pretty simple, pretty straightforward and very inexpensive way to do it. I'm actually thinking of doing a three layer one with copper, brass and nickel. Nice. Yeah. I don't prob- have any nickel to use. And probably failing horribly. 
Um, but ah, well. we'll see how it goes. Uh, if you want some really cool inspiration for not just Mokimagane, but Mokimagane uses, check out the uh, Instagram channel of our recent guest, Zane Birch, ZJB Knives. He's been doing some very cool stuff with Mokimagane, and I would love a billet of his. He does a really good job. So given that he's on he the other side... He also made a YouTube video on how to make it too. He did, and it was the video that actually inspired me to have him as my inspiration of the week that led him to being on the show. But I am just going to, since he's on the other side of the world or in the middle of a global pandemic, I'm just going to use him as inspiration to make my own Mokimogane. So um, I'm going to be using Mokimogane in the Niels Vandenberg mushroom knife build, and so Mm -hmm. I thought I'm going to drag all of you through the mud and have to do it as well. (laughs) Poor you. No, give it a shot. It's nothing cool nothing stuff. lost nothing ventured nothing gained yeah that's right except all of your brass well yeah. all of your one mil brass <laughs> all of your one mil brass i don't have that much left so i better i better get it right yeah anyway guys thank you very much for listening and for your constant lovely emails uh, we don't read them all out because some of them are just lovely messages of support um and or sometimes personal stories, which we don't feel comfortable reading out. Uh, but we do read all of them, every single one. So thank you very much. If you would like to send us one, uh, you can send it to ask.forgecast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram under the Forgecast. And if you're looking for Sam, where can we find you? can find me at Samtown's Bladesmith on YouTube, Etsy, Patreon, Redbubble, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch now. I'm a on a tea, tea channel and also the kitchen sink <laughs> you can find Alex I go by Valhalla Ironworks and you can find me on Facebook Instagram YouTube Patreon Etsy Redbubble and Twitch so thank you very much for joining us again guys and we will catch you all on the next episode see you guys Oh!